Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, April 25th, 2017. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 3, and we are on page 30, Paragraph 4. Today's readers are, for the 12 Steps, Madeline P., for the 12 Traditions, Roz R., and for the text, Lisa H., Martha Z., and Leslie M. The reference numbers for Monday, April 24th, are 7 a.m. 9868 and 10 a.m. 9869. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Madeline P. to read the 12 steps. Hello, this is Madeline P., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Athens, Greece. 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to our, uh, compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Madeline. Um, and I will now ask Roz R. to read the 12 Traditions.
Okay, okay this is I Janice. Will... Okay, you thank you. Go ahead, Janice. Yes, thank you, Janice. My pleasure. Okay, the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, unity. I'm sorry. <laughs> One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. That's a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group are to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine OA as such are never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. My pass. Thank you so much, Janice. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We're in chapter three, more about alcoholism, on page 30, the fourth paragraph. I will ask Lisa H. to begin reading, and she will be starting at the bottom of page 30, and we will focus our comments on the first two paragraphs on page 31. Okay, Lisa H., you're on. Good morning, uh, Katie. Thank you for your service. This is Lisa H., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Tennessee. 
We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery, followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't, but it hasn't done so yet. Despite all we, can, all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they are in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. If anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. Here are some of the methods we have tried. Drinking beer only. Limiting the number of drinks. Never drinking alone. Never drinking in the morning. Drinking only at home. Never drinking in the home. Never drinking during business hours. Drinking only at parties. Switching from scotch to brandy. Drinking only natural wine. Agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job. Taking a trip, not taking a trip. Swearing off forever, with and without a solemn oath. Taking more physical exercise. Reading inspirational books. Going to health farms and sanitariums. Accepting voluntary commitment to asylums. We could increase the list at infinitum. Um, the, these Paragraphs are pretty powerful. I mean, here we are in more about alcoholism. And um, to me, this is, this is where I identify in. Um, for decades, I tried so hard to eat like other people. You know, I had two sisters who were little bitty girls. And I, if I just ate like them, um, I, I would eat, be normal. Um, I was just sure tomorrow would be different. Or Monday would be the day I would eat like a normal eater. Or it was going to be January the 1st would be a new beginning. And suddenly, magically, I would become a normal eater. Or this diet was the answer. This or that diet. Or over-exercising, that would do it. Uh, self-help books. I mean, I had, I had shelves full of them. The, the best was I, I went to psychologist after psychologist, even one who had me writing a letter to my thighs to make peace with them as if that was magically going to make me a normal eater. Um, but, but all this time, I had no idea um, about the allergy of the body. I certainly knew about the obsession of the mind because all I could think about was food, what kind of food, where I was going to get it, how much or how little I was going to eat. Um, and, and really, I, wasn't, I didn't think anyone else um, thought about food the way I did. Um, so when I finally um, started reading the big book um, and listening to you all, um, I was able to at least identify my binge foods and realize that every time I consumed them, it was, you know, Katie bar the door, no pun intended. I was off to the races and I couldn't stop until that bag was empty. Um, and then I'd be, you know, be, I would be like pounding on the 
down and on the bar, how did I get here again? How did this happen again? Um, thank God for this big book and for all of you who share your experience, strength, and hope with me. Um, because for today, I don't have to have any of those alcoholic binge foods. The beauty is, the grace of it is that I don't want them anymore. Um, and I don't eat them anymore. Therefore, I don't set off this cascade of, um, of craziness in my life. Anyway, thanks to all of you. Thanks to this 12-step and, and living in the solution. Um, that's all I have. Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you so much, Lisa. Okay, who would like to share on this? Madam S. Madam Larry. Okay, I got Matt M. Larry K. Shannon S. Chrissy G. Shannon S. Roz G. Roz. It's been time for one more. Barbara E. from New Jersey. Tina S. Okay, Tina S. Okay, let's let's just uh, stop here with um let me tell you who I have. Okay. Matt M, Larry K, Harlan G, Chrissy G, Shannon S, Roz R. Well, I don't know what Roz is what initial is. Roz Barbara G. E. D is in boy. Bravo. Okay, I guess so. Uh, Barbara E. and Tina S. Okay, so let's go with those seven, eight. I can't count. Okay, Madam, you're up, followed by Larry K. Thank you, Katie, for your service. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M. Compulsive over here from New Jersey. Um, heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to eat like other people. I tried to do that my whole life, tried different diets, tried different health <laughs> clubs, tried different doctors to try to lose this weight. Yet I kept I kept tipping the scale bigger and bigger because I wasn't dealing with my issues. I kept eating my way through life and not really learning that the food is not the answer, that the food is the problem, you know. Um, I, have, I have a living situation, a living problem. That's the reason I was going to the food in the first place. I wasn't dealing with all that dreck that I had in, in, inside my soul. And uh, I had that list, that list that it's talking about in the second paragraph. I ate, I ate only organic. I never ate in the morning. I ate only at home, never in the house. Eating only during um, work hours when I was working. Eating only at parties. I did all that stuff, you know. I swore food off forever with them when I was Solomon. But the next day I was there, I would be all lit up again, like it says in the big book. Because I did not have an answer. I did not have a spiritual solution. And it's funny, I'm working on this chapter right now with my sponsor, so it's ironic that we're reading it here in the meeting, and I'm doing it uh, at home here with my sponsor, too. It really is. It really is a progressive illness, and I'm grateful that I have the solution, the, the salve that I need to put on my soul that I was damaged by all the fears and compulsive overeating and avoiding all my problems. And I'm just grateful I'm here today. I'm here today because I should be dead ten times over. I'm just grateful every day I wake up to have the opportunity to work this program with all of you and with my sponsor. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Okay, Larry K., you're up, followed by Harlan G. Okay, Katie, thanks so much. Can you hear me all right, Katie? I can. Okay, good. Thanks for your service, Katie. Larry K., recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. So we're reading about the power of self-deception. You know, when we're, when we're motivated to believe something, we tend to operate with some 
uh, <clears throat> what's called confirmation bias. In other words, I look for evidence to su that supports my belief that I'm not like other people. I'm not like you compulsive readers. And then I tend not to give as much weight to evidence that would challenge that belief. And I'm biased towards looking for evidence to support my own nonsense, my own, my own BS, because truth be told, all I want is to eat ding-dongs and to be thin. And on top of that, I will more readily accept as evidence what is right before my eyes, especially when it supports my false belief. So for me, I, I'm motivated by false beliefs. You know, like, uh, like I'm a professional with a family that loves me by and large, and I have a nice home, uh, on and on, and thus I couldn't possibly be an addict. And as I struggle with my addiction to food, I'm often motivated to see my eating as regular or normal. And it isn't even a problem all the time, so it certainly is not an addiction. And you see, I have a stake in seeing myself a certain way, and then I'll assemble evidence for my belief about not having a problem by pointing to others in my circle of acquaintances. You know, people readily at hand who consume more than I do, I'll point to the fact that I've stopped for some period of time as evidence against having this addiction. Again, more confirmation bias. And the problem is my self-deception is fueled by the, this motivated false belief that I, I don't really have a problem. My desire to convince myself that I'm okay in the world is extremely powerful. And for many of us to overcome this self-deception, understanding motivation, you know, the, the horse comes before recognizing the fal falsity of the belief, which is the cart. And so long as motivation remains cloudy, it's sort of opaque to me, it's going to be very difficult to convince myself or to con be convinced by others of the falsity of that belief. So confirmation bias runs far and wide when it comes to gathering evidence about whether we're compulsive readers. And that's why we read in the big book that frothy emotional appeal, shallow emotional appeal seldom suffices. In this program, we become convinced by a message of depth and weight. And usually it's going to take identification with the pain and suffering of our fellow compulsive readers. And I absolutely need to surrender my false belief. It needs to come down like a house of cards before I can begin to accept the solution. No identification, no recovery. It's as simple as that. Thank God for this solution. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Okay, Harlan, you're up, followed by Chrissy G. Thank you very much, Katie, and thank you for your service, and thank you to Team Tuesday for possible. I'm Harlan G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Harlan, your voice is coming in and out. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this better? Yes. Uh, I'll tell you what I can do to make this better. I can hide this. I can do this. I can do this. Okay. Is that better? I bet it is. Yes, it is. Okay. The word that really supersedes everything we've read here today is denial. Denial, denial, denial. This chapter is about the thinking that precedes the first compulsive bite because that's the crux of the problem. But we're talking here about denial. And I have vivid memories 
of being 335 pounds as a senior in high school and being 500 pounds in college and then up and up and up from there, up to 700 pounds. And at every step of the way, my brain, because of its of the ego, functioned to the level of three ideas coming to the top of my brain all the time. Number one, I want to feel good right now. I deserve to. Number two, I am different from other people. And number three, I couldn't look at you. I could look up at you and I could look down at you. But in keeping with the thing that says I'm different, there was something about me, that denial mechanism, that kept me from seeing the reality that was so starkly evident to other people. But it was when I had this adventure that I really, really had a lesson. number of years ago, I went to a city that I was doing a convention in for the Big Book, Big Book convention, and they dragged me to a hospital room to see a young man. I didn't want to go because he didn't want us to he didn't want to see us. And unless he wants to see us, I don't want to inflict myself on this person. We walk into this hotel this hotel. We walk into this hospital room and this guy is about five hundred pounds. His ankles were unbelievably swollen, just like mine used to be. And in order to get rid of us, he deliberately soiled the bed so the nurse would have to come in and throw us out, and that's how he got rid of us. And not long after that, he was dead. Well, it taught me a lesson about myself. I was willing to do anything to deny what was so evident and so obviously in front of me. That is one of the things that this disease presented to me. There's nothing wrong in the face of everything being insane. And this disease is unbelievable. Thank God for the big book. Thank God for this recovery. Thank God for Vision for You and Overeaters Anonymous. I'm alive today because of it. Thanks. thanks. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan. Okay, Chrissy G., you're up, followed by Shannon F. Hi, good morning, Katie. It's Chrissy G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater and Anorexic from New Jersey. Um, I grew up with the benefit of seeing alcoholism um, plainly, and I was the type of kid that did a lot of observing. And I watched my grandfather, and I didn't know he was an alcoholic. I didn't know the name for it, but I knew that his life revolved around alcohol. And he went to work every day. He never missed a day of work in all the years that he was working. He was really proud of that. And he drank four days a week, and he didn't drink till he got home from work. Um, he drank until he was completely intoxicated and didn't really have a life outside of work and his four days a week of drinking. Um, so was he an alcoholic? You know, what classifies an alcoholic? A lot of my my childhood, a lot of the talk in my house revolved around what classifies you as having a problem and not having a problem because everyone was struggling with, with addiction in my family, whether it be food or alcohol. And I find it really interesting because that's kind of where I was stuck before I came into OA. I was at a place in AA where I had given up alcohol and at the same time stopped compulsive overeating in the way that I defined it being a problem, which meant around the clock, 
um, really not functioning in life besides eating and, and drinking and being um, just not focused on living, you know, just focused on my addiction, just in my addiction. So, so I thought I was abstinent. And then I hit a really low bottom with anorexia and I had to start to question, you know, does control mean abstinence? If I'm able to binge every third day and get back on the wagon for three days, am I, you know, how, how bad is this addiction and how much do I have to give up? Because it's all about control. And there's a, this false belief that, you know, I'm not so bad. And, yeah, this stinks that every other day I binge and I can't lick this thing for good. But you know what? It's better than the alternative, which would be to give up my control completely over what I eat and when I eat. And that's what this requires, that all of those didn't drink on Wednesdays, only drank on Saturdays, all of that nonsense, that attempt at control is exactly what has to be given up that what exactly what I had to give up that what I eat and when I eat was no longer my business I had input but once the plan was written and the prescription was given then it was just for me to follow so that's what it requires um good news bad news is you know it works and it doesn't feel like white knuckling it every day that's all I have thanks Thank you, Chrissy. Okay, Shannon S., you're up, followed by Roz G. Good morning. This is Shannon S. from uh, Buffalo, New York, recovered by the grace of God for today. And um, I totally did this. You know, I had the shelf full of books, of self-help books, and um, I went to all the diet clubs and uh, read all the books and um you know, switching, okay, well, I'm I'm not going to eat real sugar, but I'll eat all this artificial sweetener, which uh, my body reacted to just the same way. You know, I did, I did all of that stuff, and I exhausted everything in my power, every option there was, trying to prove that I did not fall into this class. You know, I tried to drink like the gentleman, and I couldn't. And for so long, I fought that, I fought that, or I think that I was cured because I had that brief recovery followed always by a still worse relapse. Um, and I actually, through, through teaching um, a class to individuals who got uh, DWIs, I learned that um, I, I was... Well, part of the awakening came. I was a compulsive reader because I was and I could never go back to being a, a social eater. Once I crossed that line, um, there was no going back. And I fought that and I fought that and there was a lot of grief. But also these paragraphs, you know, tell me I'm, I'm like the man who lost their legs. I'm never going to grow a new one. But right now, there's so much freedom in that because once I accept that, now that I accept that, I don't have to fight anymore. And now I can learn how to how to function with my one leg rather than trying to wish it back, which is never going to happen. That's banging my head up against a brick wall. So today I can accept 
who I am, um, I can accept my disease, and then I can move forward in freedom and learn how to live this program, this spiritual solution. The physical and the emotional are not just the only things. I need to live this spiritual solution, and um, and then I can walk in freedom because I can truly live once I've accepted this. So for me, um, this these paragraphs did bring um, a lot of grief and a lot of sadness and a lot of fighting for me. But today they bring so much hope and freedom and, uh, and peace. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shannon. Roz G, you're up, followed by Barbara E. Hi, this is Roz G. May I be heard? Yes. Hi, good morning. My name is Roz G, recovering compulsive overeater. And uh, there's a bumper sticker that I've seen from AA occasionally driving down the highway that says, taking a trip, not taking a trip. (laughs) And uh, I know exactly what it means. And I'm really glad that the big book also says that we are not a glum lot because this list gives me the ability to laugh at myself. And I want to share with you some of the insane things that I did to try to lose weight not knowing what the real problem was. Um, so before I um, got got into Overeaters Anonymous, I tried um, three different tablets with the word metabo on the, on, the, on the beginning, at the beginning of the word, metabolite, metabolift, metabolite. Uh, I tried Herbalife. Uh, I tried a book, uh, all the library books, just about all the library books in my town. I knew where the diet section of the library books was because there was a time in my life when uh, I was a single parent. No, uh, I I was a a stay-at-home mom and we were making a very low income so I couldn't afford diets. Uh, I couldn't afford to go to a commercial diet plan. So I had, I resorted to the library and I, I knew the library section very well. One of the most ridiculous titles that I ever got was fooling the female fat cell. Um, then I um, uh, pretty much um, followed Oprah. I thought Oprah was the answer. Um, I watched her lose weight and gain weight, and I, and I identified with her, and so I got her book, and I thought, okay, her book is going to help me, is going to get me to lose weight. And actually, that, of course, you know that didn't work. I went on the Dr. Phil show and uh, got one of his books, and then I went, uh, these were, I was guests. Then I was a guest again in the audience uh, and got another book from another person. So it, one of them was from a, a diet that he was touting. The other one was one that he wrote. Then um, I was chosen as a guest on one of Oprah's shows. Um, and I was actually um, a guest where I got to have a, a dressing room and I got made up and I got my hair done. And Oprah and Dr. Phil and her best friend Gail gave me advice Oh, and of course, those three people would tell me how to lose weight, but of course, that never worked. Then uh, before that, when I was a single a stay-at-home mom, I bought videos. I thought Billy Blanks' tie bow was going to help me, which never did. Then um, I saw the, the, the guy that wrote the chicken soup book, uh, books has a tape out, and he says, cut, your, cut, a, cut a picture of your head and put it on the body of the body that you want. So I cut out a picture of my head smiling with a thin model. I taped it to my wall, and every morning I got up and I said an affirmation that I was going to look exactly like that picture. 
so I just want to end up by saying that a lot of this happened while I was in the rooms of OA because I distorted the uh, statement in the book that says sometimes we need to go to a therapist. And so I used all Fine. of these. Okay, I'm going to wrap up. I used all of that. And, of course, none of it worked until I understood the doctor's opinion and what my real problem was. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you so much, um, Roz G. And Barbara E., you're up, followed by Tina S. Then we'll open it up again for more shares. Thank you so much, everyone who has shared and everyone who's done service today. This is Barbara E. from New Jersey. I love listening to all of this because you're all telling my story. I genuinely thought I had the ability to control, control my eating, but I just couldn't predict when I'd lose it again. Sometimes I would begin eating for no reason at all. Otherwise, I justified my, my beginning. It's on sale. I'll just finish the bag in the house that my husband has. Um, Gee, they've made a new candy and I haven't tried that. I'll just try that and see what it's like and then I'll stop. But of course, I couldn't stop. I used to be able to stop when I wanted to, but I couldn't stop once I'd started over again as I got further and further into the disease. I tried all, try, all kinds of tricks to manage my compulsive eating, uh, only before 4 p.m., only on weekends, and of course, only one of them. Well, three would be a better number, so maybe six or ten a day. I tried switching from one brand to another, from, from one um, item to another brand, I really prayed that I would be able to eat like a normal person, but I wasn't normal, so I couldn't become one. No amount of praying helped me. I had to be broken. I had to be convinced that I was indeed unable to stop once I'd started. So the only course for me was to come to OA to learn the steps to embrace the tools, to read the big book, and to remind myself constantly, because I do have amnesia when it comes to my compulsive eating, that I am that person, that pickle who was once a cucumber or fancied herself a cucumber, but now realize I am a pickle and I'm a sour one when it comes to my compulsive overeating disease. I don't want to be going to Lane Bryant's and other stores like Lane Bryant's again. I want to have a normal body, if not a normal mind. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you so much, Barbara E. Okay, Tina S., you're up. Thanks, Katie. Tina S., uh, Recovered Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Some great stuff, some great stuff. Real grateful to be on the line. I um, you know, I am so grateful that I finally got to Chapter 3 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I started reading this, te- this book as a textbook and not a, not a novel, you know, I, I certainly relate to 
uh, more about alcoholism and you know and I did all that stuff you know I tried many ways to eat like a normal person was very unsuccessful you know uh, swearing off health farms treatment centers sanitariums you know done it all exercise anorexia you know because that would solve the compulsive eating deal um, and you know when I finally got to a place of that I, I was totally powerless and my life was unmanageable by me you know, was I able to move forward to uh, being willing to believe in a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, you know, and, and to, to move on with the solution, you know, because, you know, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these of these steps, you know, I was able to, to do something with my life, to carry a message that was carried to me, you know, and, and so grateful that I have a life today beyond my wildest dreams, that I have a life that's livable, you know, that is exciting. And, uh, you know, I have a passion for the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I have a love for recovery. And uh, and that's not nothing that I ever had before I got here, nor was it anything I really wanted. You know, I just wanted to be thin and thought that would make me happy. And, you know, and then eventually I got thin. That did not make me happy. Uh, it just made me crazier. And, uh, and you know, I'm just grateful that I have an opportunity today to be on this line and to listen to y'all and that share so much for me to me so that I can carry this to someone else. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, okay, Tina S., thank you so much. And now, who else would like to share? Everyone just stop. I can't hear any names. Say your name. S. Austin R. Melissa. Melissa T. Austin R. Okay. Marie B. I got it. Okay. Marie, I. This is who I have. Marie B. Austin R. Nessa R, Kelly S, Lynn S, Melissa C. Anyone else? Okay, that's six people. Okay, um, let's just go with those for right now. I'm sorry? Okay, um, let's just go with these six, and then if we have time, we'll squeeze in one or two more. Okay, Marie B., followed by Austin. Go ahead, Marie, please. Good morning. This is Marie okay, great. from California. Okay. Hello? Okay, now we can hear you. Go ahead, please, Marie. Okay. And my last initial is, uh, the, the initial of my last name is V, as in victory. Okay, great, thanks. Okay. Yeah. This is one of my favorite chapters because this is where I found out the nature of my of the disease I am afflicted with. It tells me exactly who I am, who I will always be until the day I die. It took me a stroke to finally get to recovery. I'd been through a lot of things. I had tried many things. I don't know that it was to learn to eat like a normal person. I just ate. It's what I did best. It's the only thing that provided me any relief from 
the hell I was carrying between my ears and my heart and my soul. And when um, I had that stroke, I was in intensive care and critical care. I was in the hospital for 30 days. And uh, it told me that I was at risk for a massive stroke. That I really needed to lose some weight. And I cussed them out, cursed at them, and said, what do you think I've been trying to do all my life? It scared me enough to return to away. It didn't scare me enough to take that leap to get abstinent and to get into the program of action. I'd been in the program of action for many years in Alcoholics Anonymous. But the temptation was there on the tables, you know, the cookies, the pastries, and he kept telling me, you need sugar to overcome the alcohol craving. Music to the ears of a compulsive eater. Finally, in 1995, I was able to get back to the program, start abstinence again, lost 100 pounds at the end of uh, almost a year, and now I think I'm eating like a normal person. The insanity returns And now I'm switching from sugar to sugar-free. Eventually I get to sugar-free candy. And that was my demise. I lost my abstinence three times. And each time I regained half of the weight. And finally the day came when I knew I could not stand living that way. It was either the program way or get the hell out of it completely and stop torturing myself mentally. Time. Living with that remorse. Thank you very much. I'll wind it up by saying that in 2003, I accepted this program completely, gave myself to it completely, found a power greater than myself that was always there that I ignored, and he became my master. And today I am abstinent. I live with that power with me constantly. And I am abstinent, and I live a life like I never imagined I could ever have. I am free. I'm totally free. Food does not appeal to me, not any kind. I enjoy my abstinent meals. I enjoy a normal body. I love, I give, and I am rewarded with recovery. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you so much, Marie. Okay, Austin, you're up, followed by Nessa R.
Austin, please okay, press good star morning. One. Okay, there you good, are. Uh, there I am, yes. Good morning. This is Austin R. I am a grateful, compulsive eater, um, abstinent one day at a time from Massachusetts. And I just wanted to uh, speak up this morning. Um, this, this phone line, this meeting has helped me in so many ways. Um, but what has struck me this morning, not only from the reading, um, is is the shares and the um, optimism, you know, the optimism that I can identify with when I was more, um, I guess, more specifically in my disease, but thinking that uh, tomorrow it would be different, this, this diet, this next diet would be the one, if I eliminated a food group, that would do it for me. Um, and I had been given a lot of messages, I'm an only child, that I should be able to do this alone. You know, why do I not have better self-control? Why do I not have stronger self-will? I have no willpower. Um, and so really had a lot of messages around this this uh, malady being something that I should be able to resolve on my own. And I've learned since then, you know, not long ago, I learned that this was not something I was supposed to be resolving on my own, that I am, I have a disease. And, and, and I was operating from a position of lack of information. You know, I've had it, heard it said I, was, I have a lack of information around why I was eating the way I was. And so with that lack of information, I had a lack of awareness. I mean, I knew I didn't eat like other people did. I had high school classmates that were slender, slender, slender. And I said, oh, my goodness, I will never be like that. You know, I had a certain degree of awareness, but not, not to the depth of where I am today. And, and without the awareness, you can't, I can't have acceptance, and then I can't take action. But, um, you know, again, I just wanted to comment, you know, with compassion on the journey that I've taken. Um, my legs will never grow back. And, um, you know, I know today that my abstinence is my greatest gift. It's the greatest gift that my higher power has given me, as well as the fellowship. And this meeting is certainly a key component of that fellowship and of greater knowledge and self-acceptance, which is something I continue to, to strive for. So thank you for letting me share in your service. Thank you, Austin. Okay, Nessa R., you're up, followed by Kelly S. Hi, um, good morning. Um, vision for you. Uh, this is Nessa R., and um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, I like this passage. If anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about faith and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Um, heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people because I grew up with two people like this. I've shared this um, on this line many times. You know, my best friend in elementary school uh, and my cousin, you know, like my, my best friend was my, my eating buddy. And uh, my cousin just ate worse than I did. I mean, he he did things that I... <laughs> that I never even thought about, never even tried. Um, and, you know, my, uh, they, they, they each had the necessity and the wish to stop, you know, my, my, my best friend, because, you know, as we grew up, she started to get interested in boys, and boys don't like fat girls, so she had the need to be thin, and she went on a diet, and to this day, she is thin. 
And my cousin, he had the wish because he didn't want to be fat anymore. He didn't want to be teased. He wanted to be able to play sports and, you know, be a normal kid. And, and same thing, you know. He went on a diet and he lost all the weight. And both of them, 35 years later, still in normal bodies. But me, I had the necessity and I had the wish. But I couldn't stop. And I, and I just thought, like, why them and not me? Like, what is wrong with me? How come they can and hey, my cousin was so much worse than me. He was fatter than me. He ate more than me. And why not me? And I even had a sponsee uh, in program who wasn't sure if she was or wasn't the real, the real deal. And so I told her, you know what? Just take your trigger foods back. You know, try to eat them and stop abruptly. Try it many times and see what happens. And she did. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, she was not a compulsive, she came to the conclusion she wasn't a compulsive overeater, but I know that that is not me. You know, once I put something into my body that is my alcoholic food or my alcoholic ingredient, or I engage in an alcoholic behavior, my allergy of the body, my phenomenon of craving is triggered and I cannot stop. And I cannot stop. And when I stop, my mind pushes me to get started again. So whatever they did will not work for me because I tried it. I tried it for decades and I lost weight many times, but I could never keep it off and I could never stay stopped. And these, these steps, which I work in abstinence for the past five and a half years are the only thing that has worked for me. It is the only thing that has worked for me. And with God's help, uh, one day at a time, I'm going to continue doing what I've been doing for these past five and a half years for the rest of my life. Because if I take the food back, I will die um, of this disease. And I have no doubt about it. Um, and I want to live. And not only I want to live, I want to live happy, joyous, and free, which is what this program affords me. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa. Kelly S., you're up, followed by Lynn S., and then hopefully we'll have time for Melissa C. Great. Thanks, Katie. This is um, Kelly S., thanks for your service. Kelly S., recovered compulsive overeater in Oklahoma. Um, I just wanted to share um, kind of a, a little different angle on that because, like everybody on the line, I've done all that stuff the Big Book talks about and everything you guys have shared about all the crazy insanity ways of controlling it, and I know we all know what that is. But I'm also sure that a lot of you can relate to what I also did, the exact same thing in the rooms of this program. Um, I've been around 30-plus years, which I've shared before. but um, So I did the same insane thing with the program. So, you know, some of the things I thought was, you know, okay, if I go to 90 meetings in 90 days, then I'll be fixed. Okay, well, if I go to this retreat, okay, maybe that retreat will do it. Okay, how about this convention? Wait, this is the big convention. So-and-so is going to be speaking. This is going to be it. Or I'm going to do this year-long book study. This will fix me. Or you know what? This sponsor, oh, my God, I, I've, I've had some of the best sponsors, people um, you know, on this line that you guys have heard, people that I'm just sure, this person told my story. This is the person that's going to get me to recovery, you know. Um, if I get on this uh, this offshoot of the program, if I work, if I if I make uh, three calls, well, okay, if I make five calls every day, I'm going to get on this food plan. I'm going to find out what that person is doing with their food plan. I'm going to find out what that person's God is. I'm going to find out what this person's doing in meditation. And then, you know, one of the um, 
wasn't the worst thing I could do, but one of the things I did too was I, I heard about Vision for You. I started listening to it. Oh my God, this is it. This meeting is going to fix me. This is it. Well, I'm going to tell you guys what. I listened to this meeting for two years. The meeting didn't fix me. You know what? Every day. I was pretty obsessed with it too. Every single day, if I missed it, I listened to the recording. I made sure that I got every minute of every day of the recording. It didn't work. Just listening didn't work. All those things are great. The tools are great. I need all that stuff, but the program of action is in the big book. And it wasn't until, and we all heard this, you know, it's not for those who uh, need it or want it, it's for those who do it. It wasn't until I was willing to be completely abstinent, put down my food, stick to a food plan. You know, I used the tools to stay in the book, but I had to work the steps. I had to find a higher power. I had to commit to daily action. I had to live this program in my life, not just in this meeting. I had to take it to work, take it into my home, do 10, 11, and 12 daily maintenance steps. You know, I had to go to my higher power on a daily basis because it's a spiritual solution. So all that stuff is great, but if I'm trying to do it on my own, I'm still trying to do it on my own. It's not an I program. It's a we program. So it's me and you guys, and it's me and God, my higher power, and I have to remember that. So, you know, this is a great meeting. There's a great a lot of stuff in this program. But if I don't pick up these tools, those, you know, simple kit of spiritual tools it talks about and work it and do the deal and take action, you know, it is a program of depth and weight, but I have to do it. And, um, you know, it wasn't until I started doing it two years after listening to the meeting that was going to fix me. Now, two and a half years later, I finally am a recovered compulsive overeater, first time in 30 years. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie, so much for your service. Thank you. And, Lynn, we have time for you uh, for two minutes, please. Uh, Lynn S. And then I'm sorry, Melissa, if you can stick around for the second hour. Good morning. This is Lynn S., a recovering compulsive reader in Toronto, Canada. This paragraph and listening to the shares just makes me reflect on the first 35 years of my life, I guess, really, and what life was like and the misery and the elation and the this time it's going to work and then the dropping down, it didn't work, but the next one's going to work or this time it's going to work and then finally at the end, doing all sorts of other crazy things, and I guess they were done maybe half-heartedly, or I did them, but that old familiar, it's going to work this time, was maybe half there, because nothing ever worked long-term. Lots of things worked. I lost 100 pounds, my first 100 at 16, and continued to lose 100 pounds. That was my bounce for the next 20 years but could never keep it off. And when I got it off, there was nothing different in my life. Um, I was still as miserable, even more crazy, and nothing was any different. It's funny, I've been pondering that. Was I in denial? I, I don't know because I didn't know anything about OA. I guess I was because I guess, I, yeah, I guess I was because I guess I kept thinking maybe this time it'll be different and maybe this time I can eat like a normal eater. And I can remember, I'll never forget, well, coming into OA that morning before I came in, just standing in the kitchen counter crying over my diet Tuesday lunch, thinking there has to be something wrong with me. And I guess that was my moment of clarity. I remember saying it can't be that God wants everybody to be happy, but you, Lynn Skilling, I want you to be miserable. I will never forget that moment. And I'm just, you know, it's, 
I can't imagine. I know I went through eight years of relapse in a way, but I never tried anything else. I never went back to that theory that maybe there's something else that's going to work for me. I knew it was only OA that was going to work, and that was desperation when I couldn't get it back. But I, I can't imagine how how rough it must be when you know about the program and you've had recovery in the program, and then you try something different. To me, I always knew this was it, and that that was um desperate enough, that was distressing enough, that was enough misery to know right in my, my heart and soul what the answer was and not be able to do it. So I'm uh, so grateful that my life isn't like that anymore. I'm so grateful that the last diet I know about is Fit for Life, which was around in 1989 when I came in. And I've never had to um, try a different diet and try a different weight loss scheme. What I did have to do, though, was I guess admit to my deepest and most innermost self that the only way I could recover was this way and with God's help and to finally just give up and accept it. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, um, Lynn S. Okay, and thank you to everyone who shared. Um, thank you to um, Madeline P. and to Janice M., Lisa H., Martha Z and Leslie M for being available and then to everyone who has participated this morning. Okay, we will um, please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, April 25th, is 9872. 9872. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164 followed by the serenity prayer. Will Martha Z. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, my friends in recovery. This is Martha Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from near Philadelphia. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.